0: We're live. David Talks Buffs and Buff Stampede Radio. This is uh, another fun collaboration. And, and David, uh, we were talking before we started this. I know you've done some collaborations with Big Dog Chico and Colin Moore at Life and Football. It's uh, a cool group that, that puts out content on YouTube. And so I'm interested to get your story too, David, and kind of share that with folks and uh, kind of go back and forth and, share, uh, and, and recap some of the, the main topics from this last week.
1: Yeah, definitely. Thank you again uh, for for having me on, Adam. Absolute honor. You know, your podcast has been one that i've uh, I've listened to for a, a very very long time, and so it means a lot to to be collaborating with you. and um, And I, I just want to say, yeah, I, I really do appreciate your collaborative spirit uh, w- with all this. You know, seeing you uh, do shows with Life and Football, doing the Buffum updates now with uh, with Big Dog Chico. Man, that. That just warms my heart. So uh, I, I'm glad to, to to be on the show as well. And uh, yeah, it's it's really cool the the movement that we have going on here. I think with content creators, with all the attention that's happening with CU, it's it's pretty unique. And uh, man, I'm just thrilled to you know to have my little slice of the pie in the whole thing. It's been a lot of fun.
0: That's awesome. What got you initially? interested in starting up a channel that was focused on covering the buffs
1: yeah um funny story um so i guess we can zoom out a little bit um i was raised in illinois the chicagoland area but uh, my dad's from fort morgan out in east colorado so i was raised like a colorado sports fan growing up so um definitely I denver broncos uh like, always followed, um, you, you know, the Nuggets, the Buffs. Mainly, uh, I remember growing up, you know, watching the the Dan Hawkins era. CU <laughs> Buffs. But uh, definitely always listening to radio podcasts. Um, you know, Alfred Williams has always been, like, a really big voice for me. Uh, because, of course, he played for the Buffs and and the Broncos. And getting to hear his perspective on things uh, every mm-hmm. year was really big for me. Now, um, ended up going to school for undergrad in Texas, um, but had the opportunity to go and get my master's, my MBA at CU. And so my wife and I, we moved up here in 2018. And uh, man, it was like a dream come true. It was uh, absolutely awesome being able to kind of get that experience um, being at CU in person. Granted, didn't get to live on the hill or anything like that, but uh, you know fantastic having the student tickets everything like that and uh, was there for Mike McIntyre's last year and uh, then for the the one year of Mel Tucker so I was kind of teased a little bit man was was thought we were or I thought we were building something pretty special with Mel but I mean we all we all know what happened there and yeah a- after coach prime was brought in here of, of course I was absolutely ecstatic right and so I'm on YouTube all the time Uh, Just trying to find other voices talking about this whole thing, and I I started thinking, you know what? There might be a a little a little niche that maybe I can fill because uh, you know a lot of the friends that I've met that 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 have started channels that are covering the buffs um, didn't really have much of that local context or hadn't been a student, and I thought, well, maybe you know I can add. some different nuance and perspective uh in, in addition to everybody else on on YouTube. So it's kind of funny I was on um, a little bit of a medical leave from work around this time last year for a couple months and I just needed something to like uh keep routine. <laughs> you keep me in routine and I thought you know what man I've I've always wanted to do this. I ran a YouTube channel 15 years ago when I was a teenager covering the buffs or covering the Broncos for a little bit and it's like what i'd always wonder what had happened if i stuck with it so i thought i'd have this other opportunity go ahead and start this and i mean now it's just been kind of a a dream come true i never thought that my channel would have grown the way that it is <laughs> growing right now and the friends that i've made the people that i've met uh it's it's been a lot of fun and so uh yeah hey this all comes down to credit to rick george and coach prime for making this thing happen because i, I think without it Um, I, I wouldn't have met, uh, so many people and, and made the friends that I've made as well as, you know, had the experiences that, uh, that, that I've had so far. So that's, I I guess a little bit of the, the spark notes version. I appreciate you sticking with me on that.
0: No, you're good. Yeah. It's when Colorado kind of gets its hooks into you, it's hard to to leave this area. Yeah. You know, it's, it's as much as I love to go travel to different places and, and see new things, when you head back to Colorado and yeah, uh, yeah pain, you, paying your drive is not anything much to look at, but once you get back into the city, um, you're, you, I always feel blessed, you know, to, to be back here. And uh, you suffered through some of the, those rough seasons with CU football already. And uh, there was this feeling that somebody's going to get this right. Um, and, and, you know, it's still got to take place with coach prime, but certainly the, the talent that's in the program is on um, on a different level than, than anything we've seen. Um, do you have a favorite, uh, memory, uh, pre coach prime? At C- oh,
1: yeah. Well, I would probably have to go with my time, uh, you know, being a student, being a grad student, um, those Nebraska games that we had, um, while I was there, you know, if I, if I remember correctly, Adam, it had been a handful of years since <clears throat> we had played Nebraska, maybe, like five or six, seven years, something like that. And so, uh, of course, the big comeback win that we had here in Boulder, uh, LaVisca Chenault playing a big, um, you know, role in that, you know, the big flea flicker from Montez to Katie, Uh, Nixon, you know, that's one of those iconic plays over the last handful of years. Um, Yeah, a 98-yard flea flicker. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I, any any new Colorado fans that haven't seen that play, you got go to go to YouTube. Type in Katie Nixon flea oh. flicker. I don't the stones on Jay Johnson, Colorado's offensive coordinator, in that spot to call flea flicker. Uh, I don't. I've never seen it in my forty four years on this plane, Another OC that would call that on the two yard line like that, and it it worked out. Uh, it, it is one of the the more memorable plays that that yeah. I've had covering the bus for
1: sure. Oh yeah, it and those games were just classics, you know, uh, absolute classics. And I, I think you know, being on campus and being a student during those times, it just it brought like a new level of fandom for me. I haven't experienced those uh, very close Nebraska rivalry games, because uh, granted, you know, neither team ended up being much of anything during those uh, couple years, but. The, the thing that I've really enjoyed about those games is that the, the teams honestly have been pretty evenly matched. The fan bases have definitely cared and getting those wins like the wins in Nebraska. you know uh, I remember uh, Leviska you know just having some huge uh, clutch uh, catches for us in in those final drives they're out in Lincoln and then of course, you know Mel Tucker wearing the khaki shorts. Uh, you know, on the sideline for that game. I mean, uh, that was, uh, I, I guess that was kind of preluding, you know, a coach coming here with some absolute swagger like Coach Prime has, man. It was just, it was, uh, it, it was fantastic. And it, it was awesome to see us kind of get some of that magic back uh, this year for some of the home games. Obviously, wish we could have won more than, than, what we ended up getting with four wins but yeah i'm curious for you adam um i I know you've been covering the buffs has it been like 20 years something like that uh quite a while um what have been some of your favorite memories before coach prime got here
0: The memory always goes back to upsetting Oregon on the road in 2016 and Oregon kind of fell apart that season. So if you look at their final record, their ranking in 2016, you go, well, why was that such a big deal? But it really was this program that Mike McIntyre had built in Boulder that had so many tough losses and had so many scars. And that was the moment they broke through. They really broke through. They had almost beaten Michigan on the road with Jabril Pepper's uh playing like an all-american i he probably should have i i I forget was he an all-american that year he must have been uh he was unbelievable uh but Mm -hmm. that oregon win was something that really catapulted this program and uh it's definitely in the top three moments covering this program just seeing uh the pure jubilation in everybody's face after that game outside the locker room um and then later in that season kind of on par with that. They, they beat Utah yep. at home in front of a sellout crowd and, and clinched the, the Pac-12 South title. And so those two really stand out from that season. Uh, I think back to Dan Hawkins in that era, they had a win over a ranked West Virginia team on Thursday night. And that was three games into the 2008 season. And back at that point, CU was coming off playing in a bowl game. They were at the in the uh, Independence Bowl in 2007. Actually went up against Nick Saban in his first year as Alabama's head coach that year. Lost that bowl game, but they put together the 15th ranked recruiting class in the country. They get out to a 3-0 start. With that win against West Virginia, it was a feeling of we have broken through, and then it just fell apart, unfortunately. But if you go back to that night when they beat West Virginia – that that was another similar deal where uh, you, you could sense uh, a level of excitement with CU football that that we hadn't seen in a while, and then uh, during the Dan Hawkins era as well, they upset number three Oklahoma at home, coming back from a seventeen point second half half deficit, and that was uh, a, a huge moment as well. Covering this team, I it's a bummer I, I just missed out on sixty two thirty six over Nebraska in uh-huh. two thousand and one. Uh, obviously missed out on covering the Bill McCartney era Mm -hmm. Um, and so and you know honestly if I was going to pick top five moments I'd have to include uh, a coach prime game and it would be going out to TCU this past year given just how much hate this team was receiving going into that game in the stadium and then all of uh, the lower expectations from folks outside the program going into that game and, um, and and obviously the season didn't go how everybody wanted it to last year uh, after that uh, started at four and one but you still you can't forget what that was like. Uh, in Fort Worth, uh, shutting up all the those TCU fans that were pretty cocky going into that game, and uh, to see a, a true freshman go out there score four times at his first game, you can go on and on about that game. It was just a really highly entertaining football game, and mm-hmm. as much as the Nebraska win w- was bigger for for a lot of folks, there was something about that TCU game that just had a feeling that even now I look back to and go, there's just there's a belief that Coach Prime puts in his players. That uh, there aren't a whole lot of coaches that can can do that, and I think now that he's got more talent in the program, you you couple that with the the type of belief that that Coach Prime and the staff can put in the players, and it makes you pretty excited for for more days like that in the future.
1: No doubt, no doubt. I'm curious, Adam. Leading up to that TCU game, this is a very weird experience for me because I I normally get like anxious for the big games for my teams, you know, um, but when I woke up that Saturday morning for that TCU game, like, uh, I was excited, but I just had this feeling, man, that like we were playing with house money. I I just had this feeling that they were going to do really well. And I mean, it felt like it felt like Christmas day again, um, with, with how that whole uh, game played out with them getting the win with them shocking the world. Like how, how are you feeling, you know, having been around the team again, you said like, everybody was wanting to take shots at this team for you know the the nine months leading up to this game against TCU of course the Vegas Lions you know had it all out of whack how were you feeling about the 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 whole thing were you a little bit nervous at all or did you kind of feel like I did where you just felt like there might be an opportunity for a surprise
0: yeah well I I knew the folks that thought Colorado was uh going to just get blown out in most games We're wrong. But then, you know, I I also wanted to kind of temper the folks that thought this was going to be a 10, 11, 12 win type team in year one because you bring in that many new pieces, you're not going to bat a thousand with transfers. Um, there, there's just a continuity that it's hard to put that together in such a short period of time. So I, I felt kind of stuck in the middle of, of these different people that were mad at each other and, and kind of just wanted to, to duck out of the way and get to that game. So we would then have actual football to talk about uh, the morning of the game. I had an Achilles issue. So I, had, I was in a walking boot That's right. and we ended up having to park. I want to say it was about maybe a mile. It felt longer than that. But when you're in a walking boot, any, any walking feels like a long way. And um, you walk in there and there's like the, Women's archer team is over there, and you're like, oh. and then there's like a shooting range, and it was like, okay, it's it's a little bit diff- different in the Big Twelve than it was back in, back in the Pac-12, uh, and, and there were people really getting dressed up for for tailgating, which uh, again you don't see a whole lot uh, in the Pac-12, uh, and it was just a different environment. Uh, there was no security; we walked right into the stadium, uh, so they might want to button that up a little bit. Wow. going forward, but um, it was really just anxious to get that thing kicked off uh, because we're doing it now right and this is the off season and we're going to do this all the way until they kick off the season and it's fun i love debating these different topics we're going to get into a lot of stuff on today's show but at some point you get sick of hearing yourself talk and you don't want to speculate as much as as you have to do in this gig you actually want there to be tangible football to talk about. And so that's why I'm, I'm always excited about the first game. But there was a feeling that uh, folks that were counting this team out or co- counting Coach Prime mm-hmm. out uh, were not paying attention to the level of talent that he brought in. Right, um, And it, it's crazy. I I think if you simulate the 2023 season 100 times, this is a bowl team the majority yeah. of the time. I, I really do think that. Now, would the O-line play be an issue in most of those 100 simulations? Yeah. But there was also a confidence issue there, and it was yes. hard to rectify it in the season. Mm-hmm. And th- there were a lot of things that happened, and, and you point to the Stanford game, and what does that do for team psyche as much as you try to fight against it? Um, I, I thought there was enough talent on the, on this football team that Coach Prime built Um that, that this should have been a bull team. And I, and I also do think there were some learning moments in there from a clock management standpoint. I think yeah. people maybe have unrealistic expectations on coach prime because he, you know, as that over you saying goes, he has forgotten more about football than either of you, you or I will know. Right. Uh, but there is something about being a head coach in those situations to really learn from. Yeah. And so I think there, that was part of season one as well as, um, you know, them them learning some things. And uh I expect with another excellent transfer class coming in, that continuity, even though you have uh you're gonna have a new defensive coordinator, there's there's a lot they can build on that it just wasn't realistic for them in, in 2023 in year one under Coach Pry.
1: Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I think I love how you bring that up about if you were to simulate this a hundred times because yeah, like there if some different decisions are made or if you know just the the ball bounces a few different ways you know in in some of these situations i i I really do feel like we were we were a bowl team we had some of these games within reach that we let get away from us yeah yeah stanford arizona you know those are a couple and i I think you can bring up a great point like this was a, a learning year for coach prime as well um you know he hadn't coached in a lot of close games um you know prior to to this year, uh, if I remember correctly. And so sometimes, like, you only get better at those game management things, like, the more you go through them, uh, I think. And even the greatest coaches, you know, uh, at, at the NFL level, you know, for instance, Andy Reed is, you know, one of the best coaches ever. And, you know, he's he, he's always receiving flack for some of his game management, uh, you know, decisions from time to time, uh, even to this day, you know. So uh, it, it's something that I don't think a coach ever does perfectly, even the best. Uh, but I, I think we'll see Coach Prime improve, having gone through that this year. And I, I, I'm curious. I, I know we'll get into stuff in the future, but with your take on the offensive line, Adam, I, I'm curious to hear because when I was like projecting out my expectations for the Buffs this year, I just thought we would get average, like FBS offensive line play, and really like what turned out to be was no, we were you know, going with some of the worst in FBS football, you know, for the offensive line. Um, You know, what, what do you think, like where are some of the issues there? Um, And and how do you think like we're correcting that? I guess we can get into talking about some of the new personnel and everything that's, that's coming in, but I would just love to hear you kind of talk about uh, those things and how we're, we're moving forward to, rectify that for 2024.
0: Yeah, I think it it came down to, I don't know, maybe three or four different things in terms of the O-line struggling. And I think you have to start, you do have to start with the talent. And um, you can bring in guys from the JUCO ranks. You can bring in a guy from Missouri State and and you can have success with those guys. But when the bulk of your incoming offensive line transfers are in that boat and Mm -hmm. and even the guys they brought in from Florida – um, hadn't played for the Gators, and, and one of them didn't even make it back until the summer, yeah. uh, because he couldn't hang at this level. And so, you're just asking a lot of guys to jump up in competition, and there isn't as much of that strong leadership that have gone through it. You know, Van Wells had a nice freshman year, but that's still a, a second year player at the college level. Jared Christian Lichtenhan, he's got enough pressure on him be, trying to protect. Uh, you know, one of the the top quarterbacks in the country, so it's hard for him. Um, to go much beyond that, Savion Washington coming in from Kent State, and he knew the system, and that you thought that would help. But when you've got, you look go back to that UCLA game when you've got those talented edge guys, and uh, they can start getting some momentum against you, it, it can get ugly real quick. It's like yeah. sharks smelling blood in the water, and uh, that leads me into another thing that was an issue, and that was just confidence had gotten shattered as the season went along, and. As much as you can try to insulate yourself as a football player, and Coach Prime did meet with those guys, try to talk them up, try to build them back up. Um, Once that, once your confidence is affected as an offensive lineman, it's really tough to come back uh, without a break. Um, And then, you know, the other thing was just lack of balance offensively. Um, Yeah, you talk to him offensive linemen they they prefer run blocking they get to be the aggressor in in that case and so uh when you're already struggling in pass protection and you're asking these guys to do it the vast majority of plays on top of it that makes it really tough and that kind of feeds into the lack of confidence because they're not able to get a little mojo by um you know powering powering guys back and but you know to the same point when when they try to sometimes those Guards just weren't getting a push on the interior of the old line So it's not necessarily that they should have been 50-50 run pass, but just the fact that you don't have a balanced offense makes it really hard on those guys. What, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, the The play calling, and, and it's hard because at the end of the day, uh, we were trying to come back from deficits in a lot of these games. And – yeah for an offensive line that would kind of need uh to to find their confidence uh you know having the the luxury to establish a run game if they can do that uh we we weren't always afforded that uh with how you know some of these games were developing with us getting into deficits early on and i i think one thing that we've learned from this whole thing like this first year adam in in uh My perspective is that guys kind of have the idea of the level of this spotlight, the microscope that's going to be on them here, uh, especially from uh, an offensive uh, line uh, perspective or offensive coordinator, play calling, all of that, uh, because, hey, as long as you're playing for Coach Prime, especially – when you got two behind there, you know, Shador Sanders, uh, there's going to be a microscope on your performance. And I think like that's you talk about confidence. Uh, you know, I think it's safe to say that, you know, some of our guys that that we had on the team this past year maybe weren't ready for that level of, of criticism or spotlight. Because, again, uh, not only do you have, you know. Uh, teammates, people in the traditional media talking about it now with this whole Colorado movement. It is literally everybody and their mother on Twitter, everybody and their mother on YouTube that that has an opinion on your performance, and that just is not uh, you know the case for the majority of football programs that you could play for. It's not at that level, and so I think one of the positives now that we have a year uh, to to see how this whole thing is is going, to see the attention uh the the guys that are coming in whether from a coaching perspective or from a player perspective like they they understand like what they're getting themselves into they understand what the spotlight is what the risk and reward is honestly for for coming to play for a program like this uh, what do you think about that
0: no i love it and that's what aside from just the experience that Guys like Justin Mayers and Khalil Benson and Tyler Johnson bring to the table uh, is that mentality that they've arrived with that confidence that they've arrived with, and yeah, I, I think it's it's pretty obvious they know what they're stepping into because they talk about the challenge, you know, publicly and, and talk about um, you know that the, they don't necessarily want the spotlight on them, but they're willing to. Uh, step into the spotlight to try to protect Stuart Sanders and and try to get him, you know, into the Heisman uh, trophy uh, discussion this coming year. Um, They've at least, you know, like you said, they, they have seen how big this is. Um, I'm sure they all know that Colorado was the most watched team in the country. And this is a question I want to throw back to you, David is, is Colorado's offensive line group in 2024 going to be the most watched offensive line in the entire sport I'm talking professionally, collegiately, <laughs> high school, you know, top to bottom. Is it going to be uh, the, the most watched offensive line group in the country? Because it feels like it.
1: Oh, yes. I am getting that vibe just like you are, Adam. I, I think that, hey, they were one of the most talked about uh position groups in all of college or professional football this past year. I, I mean, yeah. no doubt – they are going to be some of the most scrutinized players in all of college football. And I would say that um, this is something that you might've brought up on one of your shows. I can't remember, but uh, a quality about Pat Shermer that I think is going to be, be good and serve this team. Well, is that I think he's going to have a huge uh, microscope on him and his play calling his offensive scheme this year, because um, Hey, uh, regardless of how things turned out with, uh, with Sean Lewis this year, now it's like okay, Prime. Like you wanted to replace Sean Lewis. Now, uh, now you got a chance to to do that over a full off season, and uh, it, it better be looking better, right? So I, I think that um, Pat Shermer, though, having been a head coach in New York City, it, it should serve him well to you know handle this spotlight um, and to you know to be prepared for the moment. And yeah, I think some of the risk and reward again for line players coming out here. Hey, if if we're able to make that jump as an offensive line group to uh, being something that is contributing towards winning games, rather than something that I felt like in you know uh, pretty much the majority of the wins, I guess that we had, where it, you know it was something that we were overcoming um, outside of um, you know maybe a couple games. Um, the attention uh, that that they're going to get, not only from an NIL and exposure perspective, but I, I think people in the NFL should be taking notice of that too. Uh, because as an offensive lineman, if you can take that pressure a- and deliver, um, you know, here at Colorado, you can go and play and deal with the criticism as a Dallas Cowboy. You know, in Chicago, in New York City, in some of these uh, toxic markets (laughs) (laughs) that a lot of us are fans of. Um, I I think, yeah, it it provides them the opportunity to uh, really go and make a name for themselves. And I'm expecting a, a substantial jump this year with our offensive line quality. Granted, we don't really have. I mean, it can't get any worse, right? I mean, that's what I thought. Like, it can't get any worse from where we're at right now, Adam. Uh, Like, do you think it's reasonable for us to, like, take a jump from being, you know, one of the worst in FBS football to being ranked, like, you know, somewhere average? Because I think, like, if we just have an average offensive line ranking uh, in college football, this offense is going to feel like it's humming so much better compared to the dysfunction that we saw this past year uh, with, with spurts with the offense.
0: Yeah. A lot of that in terms of, can you be middle of the pack or middle of the big 12? I've got to correct myself now going forward on that. Uh, You, you would, I think, take that as a Colorado fan with no hesitation right now, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to, you're going to have probably a true freshman starting at left tackle. And so Mm -hmm. you can't expect perfection out of that, but and it's not just the guys they bring in. it's, It's uh, a Tyler Brown now being eligible and he was telling the DNVR guys that he's working at center, which makes a lot of sense that that works out well because then you've got Justin Mayers who's most comfortable at left guard. Mm -hmm. You've got Khalil Benson who's most comfortable at right tackle. And Mm -hmm. then Tyler Johnson who can play, you know, a number of different spots, but would really fit in well at that right tackle spot. Mm -hmm. And so you know, that right there is a good group. Uh, Savion on Washington, Hank Zolinskis, David Connor. You, you've you've got better depth in there, and in, in there are other guys that are back in the program. And it's going to be interesting to see what you know, happens with the Jack Bailey, um, and yeah. some of the other guys that, that played last year. Um, I, I think because of what happened, it's easy for us to write them off. But yes, uh, you know, as long as they're on the roster, maybe one. Uh, of those guys rises, you know, there's a Kareem Harden on the roster, uh, Isaiah Jada, does somebody kind of take that jump a, as a player and, and add even more depth in there? Do you, do you go into the spring window and pull in another top piece there? I, I, maybe that's based on how Jordan Seton looks, but yeah, I, I, it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. If that happens, then Colorado probably wins eight plus games in, in 2024. Um, mm-hmm because there, there aren't the question marks about those other positions. And maybe we do spend some too much time overanalyzing the O-line, but uh, because of what we saw last year, and because we do feel so comfortable about those skill positions, that's kind of where you have to go to on offense in terms yeah. of discussion this time of year. But yeah, yeah, I, they're, one of those guys I just talked about is going to be better than we think right now mm-hmm. in 2024. And one of those guys probably isn't going to be as good as we think right now, right? That's just kind of, how it usually works out. Um, and then you bring in injuries into the, the situation and that you know, there, there's so many question marks that you uh, you can't answer right now uh, in January that, that you'd want to, but it, it's hard for me to not see that as a group that at least earns a lot of respect, especially because the bar was set so low by last year's group that um Shadour Sanders can get to, his first read in some games that'll be a step up than it was in, in 2023. Um, now can he get to the second and, and third read and and uh and not have to? run helter skelter back in the pocket trying to just get a second to be able to figure out who's open downfield and so uh, hopefully we don't have to see that that quite as much this year and i I don't think we will um what is that group ceiling though it's a really tough answer i would probably say kind of in that middle level of the the big 12 but um hey maybe they they can be even better than that if if that's the case we're we're not talking about just eight wins we're talking about a, a pretty special season in boulder
1: Yeah, yeah, no no doubt. And I I think, yeah, you you hit the nail on the head that, you know, we got a lot of, uh, we we have a lot better depth at the offensive line, I I feel like, now that we have, you know, two full recruiting cycles to to bring these guys in. And, you know, it's not necessarily, um, you know, a given on who's in that starting lineup right now. You know, I know that uh, yeah, you talked about Hank Zelenskis on a podcast maybe a couple weeks ago where uh, you were saying how um, you know you, you've been impressed with his development and you know he could definitely challenge for that starting center spot. Um, Tyler Brown, I would love to see him um, you know especially everything that he's been through and that bogus waiver denial um, not being able to play this year. I, w- I would love to see that. Um, but I, I, yeah, we're bringing in guys who have started a lot of them have started at the power five level or power four now. And, um, you know, we didn't have that luxury of bringing in in any power five starters uh, this this past year for the offensive line. So uh, I'm thrilled to see how it shakes out. I mean, from what we've seen from the well-off video, it seems like, hey, like that competition for everybody's jobs is uh, is already starting week one, which, which I absolutely love to see. And, uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind, though, of us uh, for us to go after another tackle. Um, I think that Khalil Benson and Savion Washington are going to have a pretty good uh, competition for that starting right tackle spot. I think a lot of people don't give Savion Washington his credit for, in my opinion, I felt like he was just playing on one leg for the majority of this past year because that was literally better than any of the other options that we had. And uh, if he can stay healthy, And uh, another year in development. Working with Coach Goldholt now, um, I'm excited to see where he takes his game. But it it would be nice to have, um, you know, depending on where David Connor, um, you know, where he ends up, uh, you know, having really four guys uh, at least at that tackle position that we feel like we can trust. Because at the end of the day, we are going to deal with injury, Um, and yeah, (laughs) very unlikely that all starting five offensive linemen play throughout the whole season. And we definitely. Uh, you know can't afford to to have a step back in in play with uh, with moving into the big twelve. we can't
0: and Hanks oensiis is a, is a good name to throw out there from a perceptions uh, perspective standpoint and and by that I mean that you talked about the fact that you followed along with Dan Hawkins and Mike McIntyre yeah. and, and Carl Durrell was obviously the head coach before Coach prime got to Boulder and. I feel like a lot of those staffs would have seen Hank Zelenskis come in as a true freshman, really liked his potential, get his feet wet. And then they just hand him the keys, and you're our starting center in, in 2024. Yeah. And now he's part of a competition. You got Tyler Brown working at center now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you bring in Yakiri Walker, who started at UConn last year. Uh, and you have Hank Zelenskis. So it's like we're not just not going to settle on, oh, we got this young guy that we're excited about. Uh, and we're going to assume that he's ready to handle this load. And if it doesn't work out, then uh, we're, we're in a bad shape. So I like this staff's ability. And I think last year was a learning uh, situation for them in that sense as well in terms of you, you really cannot have too much depth at the Power 5 level. And yeah. uh, I know one of the things Coach Prime hates is when we kind of do the FCS, FBS comparison, but you just wear down yeah. if you don't have depth at the FBS level. Whereas you, if you got a lot of talent, top end talent in the, in the FCS, you get out to big leads and those guys are watching late in the game. And so uh, that's the part of the transition that that's different is, mm-hmm. is you, you got to have um, second and third options. Whereas, um, you know, again, some of those staffs at Colorado, they, they just never had the depth in. And so you, you'd love the starters on the team and then a couple injuries would happen. And uh, you never felt like there were, they had much of a chance to, to replace those guys. I always would say that next man up, but you're thinking, well, you haven't recruited for that though. Right. I feel like, I feel like this, this staff has done that this off season.
1: Oh yeah, no doubt. Uh Yeah. When it comes to. Yeah. Comparing, I guess, coach prime to some of those other coaches that you just mentioned, like it just goes to show the standard that's being raised. Um, You know, Corey Phillips, I think he had that little, uh, you know, viral rant on the Coach Prime Amazon show. Uh, congratulations by your cam about your cameos, by the way. That was cool to, uh, oh, to see you in there. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> when he came in and said, you know, if you're putting out bad tape, we're going to bring somebody in here to do the job better than you. And it's kind of like that pro-type, um, you know, atmosphere and expectation that they're trying to build here. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for why CU, didn't have the depth to uh, maybe talk like that you know. Uh, prior to, to Coach Prime uh, just because, yeah, we weren't recruiting at an effective level. But there is definitely uh, – it's definitely a little, a little bit more cutthroat and uh, professional business-like where you're going to be brought in to, to do a job. But at the same time, uh, we're always looking uh, for better players to replace the guys that we got. And that can be, I guess, controversial – at the at the college level but just personally for me adam uh you know i just want to see wins man um <laughs> i don't have any loyalty to these players man i just i just want to see a uh, a winning season for the first time in like seven eight years right
0: <laughs> yeah and we talk so much about the o-line uh the other part that makes me pretty optimistic and, and, and more bullish on this offense's potential is the chemistry that Shadur and Pat Shermer have. And I don't think you can really know in an off season how that's going to mesh. And they got that both from knowing that it's not going to work long-term with Sean Lewis and Shadur, but also, you know, as much flack as coach prime took for, for changing those play calling responsibilities, it gave Shadur and Pat Shermer a full month basically of working together in that role and you know coach prime there there's he he wants so badly for his sons to have an amazing final year at Colorado and for Travis Hunter uh to live up to his potential and stay healthy um he's not going to gamble on an OC if he doesn't feel pretty confident going into this coming year that, that he's got the right guy. And I thought it was an interesting comment. I forget which show he was on, but he talked about one of the things he learned is that, um, he's going to be a little bit more hands-on in terms of the, the, the staff makeup around him. And, and so, um, I understand that, that Pat Shermer doesn't have a ton of recent college experience. And so there's a whole lot to, uh, You know, compared to in terms of the college game, Uh, he obviously was limited in what he could change in November when you've already gotten eight games into a season um, and you just don't have the practice time to implement new stuff. Some of the wrinkles in there I I actually liked, Um, but I'm a little bit more optimistic on that than I was the first time I thought about him being the, the permanent hire. Yeah, And a lot of that is the the other people that followed him with the Broncos. And I just – you mentioned that you're a Broncos fan. I just – I didn't have that history because I don't have the chance to watch the NFL that much. But he still did have success at other stops in the NFL. A lot of the focus was on maybe the head coaching record. But, um, you know, certainly there there are a lot of people that are well-respected in the NFL from the the past and in current players and coaches that speak pretty highly of him. So uh, it is – uh, one of those things that isn't going to draw national headlines because um, of those struggles as the Broncos OC, mm-hmm. but um, that, that comfort that he has with Shador is, it had to be the most important quality in the new OC. How do you mesh with Shador Sanders? Because uh, you gotta, you gotta maximize this is the best quarterback Colorado's had in a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. And so you gotta, you gotta figure out the, the best match there. And so I, I, I'm I'm anxious to see what those wrinkles look like. It doesn't sound like it's going to be just a a pure pro style from from what I can gather. Is that, that kind of similar to your thinking as far as this goes?
1: Yeah. Yeah. My line of thinking is very similar to yours, Adam. I think when I first heard, the idea or the news about him like being retained as OC, I was like, no, from my time as like being a Broncos fan. But uh, as I've had time to kind of sit on it, think about it at a deeper level. I think what you brought up the trust uh, factor, having quarterback, head coach, offensive coordinator, all aligned in their same offensive philosophy, how they want to, uh, you know, attack the defense, all of that trusting each other i think that um like those things are so huge um when you're when you're trying to get wins against really good opponents you know and i again i think we could bring in the most genius offensive mind in here but if if you're not aligned with the quarterback and head coach either you like that thing is it's just going to break down at some point and it's not going to be sustainable so um the the trust factor i think is huge also like you brought up the point that hey shador's last year we don't have time to mess around um and you know coach prime again there's so so many goofy narratives out there like sometimes about him about like oh he's just hiring his friends and all this well it's like well i hired some coaches he didn't know last year it just didn't work out you know so it's not like um it's not that he's just hiring his friends and they're going wrong. I, I think any coach hires people that they have relationship with, uh, with them for the most part. And I think that's why you see those hires, um, you know, they do work out, you know, over time. And so I think that, Hey, he's already got that trust factor with Pat Shermer. Essentially you could just look at this year as like a year long interview, I guess, you know, figuring out how they work together, communicate all of that. Uh, you don't have to worry about, um some things I've talked about earlier, you know, that the spotlight's too big for him or anything like that. Or like he knows what the culture and the expectation and, and all of that is. He's already bought into it. So you don't have to worry about that. I really love the idea of promoting from within, um, whether that was Pat Shermer or Brett Bartoloni was another name, you know, that, that, that people had been wondering it might be promoted. But I, I love the idea of continuity. I think that that, um, you know, leads to, sustainable winning long-term and I, I think with Pat Shermer like yes there, there will be I think a little bit more emphasis on running the ball I think you'll see um, some different sets uh, compared to what we saw for the majority of of last year now we did see s- some of those like we did see some Shador under center for a little bit we did see some uh, pistol looks if I remember correctly like in uh, against Utah with Ryan Staub um, I I think Will be running probably a little bit more diverse of a playbook, and uh, but I still think, man, like Adam, I still think we're gonna, you know, we're gonna air this ball out, man. I I think that anybody that's thinking, hey, that this is gonna be a 50-50 run ratio or run-to-pass ratio, I just don't think that that's gonna be the the norm here. Uh, Pat Shermer, man, at least from what I know about him in the NFL, when he had a guy that he felt had like legit arm talent, man, he was throwing that ball. He was throwing that ball, and uh, not to say he was uh, neglecting the run game. I, I, I don't think he did that at all at the NFL level. But um, I, I, I still think that hey, when you got a talent like Shador and the receiving weapons that we have right now that we've retained and brought in, um, I you know, I would expect. This is just my expectation right now is that for Shador to break all of his statistical records he set this past year for the school. Um, I, I think this offense is going to be uh, doing a lot better. I, I think we will run the ball more, but maybe not a ton more. But when we do run the ball, it will be way more effective than what we saw this past year, and which is going to allow for a lot more diversity in what we're able to call.
0: Yeah, I don't even feel like we're going to talk a whole lot about the receivers other than to say, that's a really solid group going into next year. And, and maybe there'll be a debate as to kind of the hierarchy in, in terms of who catches the most passes this year, but it is pretty incredible the amount of, of talent that that group has. And because there is still an ongoing defense coordinator search and because uh, the Shermer news didn't really get made official until that team meeting yeah. last Sunday, Jason Phillips coming on staff is, is kind of gone under the radar quite a bit. And, and this is somebody that has that familiarity, familiarity with Coach Prime. Uh, they played together when they were with the Atlanta Falcons in the early 90s and uh, they spent time coaching together at Jackson State. I remember you recruiting against him quite a bit, uh, Jason Phillips, when he was at Kansas, Houston, um, spent some time at Oregon State, SMU. And I, re- I do remember continually hearing that this was somebody that had a really strong reputation Of being a very solid recruiter, a guy that does a great job of uh, developing relationships. And one of the other things I, I really like about Jason Phillips coming on staff is that he was born and raised in Houston, played at Houston, was an All American there. And now, I shouldn't say now, before you wanted to recruit Houston, now you really want to recruit Houston. You're going to be playing. Uh, the Cougars out in Houston—that's something you can sell to recruits, and, and you're just in that Big 12 footprint now. So, um, that, it, it's one of those things that maybe got o- overlooked a little bit this past week, just because there were, there was some other news, and obviously the team getting back to work with Barry with Sims and his staff. Um, he he kind of slid slid under under the radar a little bit, joining the staff.
1: No doubt, no doubt, Adam. I'm glad you're bringing this up because. Yeah, we have a lot of guys, of course, that are from Florida that have played or worked in Florida. So we got a lot of members on that uh, on the staff that, like, you know, they're able to relate with those guys directly, and it it really comes through in the quality of recruit that that we're bringing in from Florida right now. And I think that um, you know, with Jason Phillips. I mean, this is a big 12 recruiting move, no doubt, With the time that he's already spent in the region being a Houston guy, it's it's crucial. And I like the fact that, hey, with Coach Woldholt, I believe he's got Texas ties as well. Um, So that's going to be um, important. Or even if it was just at OU has a. I mean, you have to recruit Texas being at OU as well. And so um, I, I think with both of those coaches, with Jason Phillips, with with uh, Coach Lodeholt, with them also playing in the NFL, got guys here that are coaching, but also like these players can can really hear from their perspective of saying like, hey, like this is how I did it, right? Uh, we, got, we got guys on the staff now that have been, uh, you know, high NFL draft picks, and you know guys that have had to you know scratch and claw you know to stay on professional rosters or uh you know going up to the cfl like uh jason phillips did as a player and a coach so uh, i i think it's a wonderful move i think with pat Shermer, you know being the the full-time oc i, I would imagine that we'll be running more of a you know, professional pro style route tree as well. And so having a guy like Jason Phillips in there that has uh, done it as a player and a coach uh, both, I I think is going to be a tremendous asset uh, for recruiting and and for player development here. So I, I really love it. I'm a fan of, of both of those hires. I, I have high expectations for both of those coaches in terms of developing their position groups And, uh, I mean, they have a lot of fun talent to work with, uh, I I think. So Um, I I do have a question for you, Adam. What did you make of the move of Brett Bartolone uh, from wide receivers coach to tight end, uh, tight ends coach?
0: Well, my first thought was what is the tight end going to look like in this offense because um, if you're going to have them featured in the slot more, you know, having a receivers coach – uh, makes quite a bit of sense. Um, and and for Bartoloni, he's such a, a smart offensive mind. I think him getting as much experience as he can. Um, this is somebody that uh, when he had to medically retire in college football was asked by Mike Leach to, to come join the staff there at Washington state, basically as a student assistant. And so um, he's learned from some of the best offensive minds out there. And um, yeah, if it's a position that's not going to be utilized a whole bunch, I think it frees Bartoloni up to to be a really strong recruiter and spend a lot of time yes. in that area. Um, and so, yeah, I like Tim Brewster. I, the The recruiting results didn't seem to kind of you know match up with some of the. The hype that was building, they just weren't able to close on some of those guys, yeah. and then it not working out with today Cedric Traore. And based off what I've heard, I don't really put that on Tim Brewster. They wanted him to be uh, a well-rounded tight end, and he just wasn't really interested yeah. in blocking. So uh, that just wasn't a good mesh uh, there. But uh, I, I've been impressed with Bartoloni as a young coach. Um, I am curious, kind of, his thoughts on his new role and, and kind of how uh, he wants to grow. Uh, as a coach, as having this new experience. Uh, Yeah, he was uh, obviously the offense coordinator at Jackson State a a couple years ago. So um, he's definitely um, building up a a resume at different spots on a coaching staff. And I I thought he did a good job with receivers last year. You know, I I thought that was a group that was uh, the the least of their issues offensively.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm really excited to see what he does uh, in this role because I think you're kind of alluding to the fact just like I, I think Bartoloni is like a very bright young coach, and I would love for him to stay on staff like as long as possible. So, I think when you got the opportunity to bring somebody in like Jason Phillips, like like if you're CU, you got to do that. And uh, I, I'm interested to see how he works with the tight ends. Yeah, that we got right now, shimon Mateo, I think uh, we still have Luis Passarello. And I don't know if the the move with Savelle Smalls to tight end is official, but, you know, we saw him sitting with the tight end group in one of the well-off videos. So, uh, And then we got uh, Yelverton, who's a who's a walk-on. Um, yeah, I, I'm interested to see what he does. I had speculated, you know, uh, on one of my shows like a while ago, I'm like, why don't you just have Brett Barloni work with them for receiving and Coach Lohol work with them for learning how to block? And uh, maybe that might be some of the case for, uh, you know, them developing into uh, kind of well-rounded tight ends. But I'm really excited to see how they use uh, Shaman Mateer. I think if you go back and look at some of the things that Pat Shermer's done with his NFL offenses, you know, when he's had success with those offenses, he's usually had a really good tight end. Uh, go look at the ways in which he's utilized Kyle Rudolph in the passing game, lining him up uh, in line in the slot out wide. Um, I, I did a video yesterday kind of showing some different concepts for how uh, an athletic tight end that can run those routes can be used in a sense like a like a really good screener in basketball like Draymond Green can can run some of these uh, rub routes or pick routes to really uh, you know scheme guys open to to get our wide receivers uh, open with a lot of space and i think um you know mikey harrison uh one of my favorite stories from last year but he wasn't that type of physical uh big nfl bodied type of tight end that shaman Mateo is that uh can, can really give you a lot more to work with from a play calling perspective because what he can open up from the offense even if he's not a tart you know like you know, the primary target or, uh, you know, first or second read in some of these plays. I think he's going to provide a lot of matchup problems for the offense.
0: Yeah, we got to get Luis Passarello on the field. This is going to be his fourth year on campus. And obviously it wasn't his fault last year because he was one of the guys that stood out during spring ball, earned his number. Fortunately, has a knee injury, doesn't play. But uh, uh, we we got to get him out there because it's he's been on campus for a long time now.
1: Yeah. I want to see him have success and yeah, yeah. The, the tight end group, man, it's, uh, you know, I think for the second year going into it, it's kind of like, you know, we don't really know what to expect. Of course, now we've brought in, you know, a big time transfer in Shaman Mateer, but, uh, I, I would love for us to have a little bit more, uh, you know, bodies in there, but if it's not going to be a position that's utilized a ton, of, like if we're not going to be run ton of like 21 personnel or anything like that, like I understand it. and, I, I can't understand it again with the receivers that we have uh, available to us and guys that have the flexibility to play both sides. If we're wanting to bring in Bishop Thomas to, to lead block uh, you know, as a fullback or uh, you know, bring in one of those extra offensive linemen like we did a little bit last year once um, Pat Shermer started play calling, I still think we got enough bodies to um, you know run some of those jumbo looks and stuff.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And uh, yeah, there's also a, a spring transfer window too, right? I think yeah. it's so hard now that they're back on campus and they're working out, your, your brain goes, to okay, who's there? Let's figure this out. All the, I'll put all the pieces together and uh, there's going to be still some, some movement uh, here that we see this spring. David, I know we had one other topic in, in this is something I've talked about a few times and I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. Do you have some guys that you you look at in terms of the transfer additions, the the 2024 recruiting from from high school ranks additions and see any guys that are somewhat underrated out there that, that you yeah. think uh, are, are going to surprise some people?
1: Yes, no doubt. Uh, I absolutely love this question. Um, I, I think again, with a lot of the the big names that we've brought in, uh, in addition to the secondary, like Preston Hodge, can kind of be a, a little overlooked. I, I think you know he's going to be somebody. I think that will primarily play in the slot. Um, was one of the highest rated defensive backs, in you know all of FBS football last year, and uh, like I, I think that he's going to really help strengthen uh and shore up this secondary uh I, I have high expectations uh you know for for him um a, another guy that like i'm pretty interested to to see uh you know how he develops is <clears throat> is running back uh, true freshman coming in here michael welsh you know we've kind of seen him in some of the well-off reach the people media videos this week and I mean, he, he already kind of looks like he has that college football, you know, ready body. And uh, I think right now we're at four scholarship running backs and I could definitely see him uh, getting some time uh, this year just because, yeah, we, we don't have a a ton of running backs right now uh, on the roster. That is a, uh, a position group that does normally deal with, injuries uh you know on any team throughout a college football season and uh i i'm very interested to see what his role is um this year as well and then um you know i have talked a little bit about um chidozi wonkwo i think he's a little bit what one of our more hyped up guys coming in here but i i don't think people understand like how much of an improvement he is uh for our defensive line uh just substantial like power five starter proven uh you know graded much higher than than anybody that we had uh on the roster especially uh, in the run defense and i think he's going to make a substantial impact with um with just shoring up that defensive line which you know we need a lot of for as much as the the offensive line was criticized this year uh, you know, you could argue that probably our defensive line deserved just as much, uh, you know, spotlight, right? Um, but another guy that I'm excited that they're bringing in uh, on, on the defensive line is uh, the guy that we're bringing over from, from Arkansas, Taryn Carter. Um, yeah, 6'3", 303. He's a guy that uh, provides some versatility. I'm not totally sure kind of what defensive front we're going to be playing this year as we're still waiting on the Defensive coordinator hired to be announced, but he's a guy that, um, you know, mainly play like that nose tackle position in 2021, um, you know, re- responsible for holding up that, uh, those a gaps tore his ACL in the off season before the 2022 season. And in this 2023 season, new defensive coordinator, different scheme, they had him, um, playing a little bit more outside. Um, you know, being responsible for the, for those B gaps. So he's a guy that provides some, some versatility and it's going to be interesting to see how much uh, or what ways in which he's utilized because graded out much better uh, playing that nose tackle position than he did this past year, um, playing that more, more so that end position at Arkansas. Um, But how much does that have to do with scheme? How much does that have to do with being your first year off of an ACL? Uh, Don't, don't really know, but, um, you know, he's, he's another guy that is a, from an athlete perspective, you know, we haven't had a lot of guys on the roster built like this guy. And so I, I'm excited to to see him here. Uh, but what about you, Adam? Uh, do you have a few names, uh, you know, on your mind that are underrated? Well,
0: it's, f- it's funny. I, I asked you, you know, in terms of high school additions and, Oh, sorry. <laughs> these guys are all no, 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 no. You answered it properly, but like, there kind of only is one answer there. It has to be Michael yeah. Welch because everybody yeah. else was rated so highly. Yeah, uh, exactly. And yet still, Michael Welch was invited to play in the All-American Bowl. He just couldn't go because he was coming back from uh, – didn't want to aggravate anything before he comes out to Boulder. No, wow. I – and we've heard Coach Prime talk about how uh, he likes that style of back, kind of that that guy that can wear down a defense as, as the game goes on, mm-hmm. along, kind of a bowling ball type of back. And uh, so, no, I, I I like Michael Welch a whole lot. Um, in terms of the transfers coming in, I agree with you with Cheetozy Wonkwo. I mean, he's got a 87 transfer rating on 24/7 Sports. Uh, yeah. To me, he's uh, an 89 or a 90 based yeah. on what he did at, at Houston. He, he's pretty established. Uh, Justin Mayers is maybe slightly underrated a little bit on 24/7 Sports as well. He's an 88 rated transfer and he just told Brian Howell that he he had 32 offers. He wasn't in the transfer portal that long and he got 32 offers. And uh, it was simply a case of him being at UTEP and and not a whole lot of people uh, outside of the the scouts that were evaluating the portal knew much about him. Uh, But that's a guy that I'd be really surprised if Justin Mayers isn't your, your starting left guard in 2024, but, um, there are a lot of them. And even, you know, a Wester is a guy that maybe could be in the argument as a four-star transfer. And then you talk about, Will Shepard and Wester so much at receiver that you don't even mention Terrell Timmons. And I'm not talking about you specifically, just in general, but Uh, I don't, people don't talk about (laughs) about Terrell Timmons junior that much. And I talked to our guy that covers NC state and he says, he's a really good deep threat. The problem is that, N. Z. State's quarterbacks last year couldn't get the ball deep. So uh, sometimes, you know, the stats don't tell the full story. And so that's a guy that doesn't get talked about, but could end up being a a pretty big playmaker for the Buffs here here in 2024.
1: And how could we also forget about Cordell Russell, you know, a guy that uh, I think he was a higher rated recruit than any of the wide receivers we brought in last year. And, uh, you know, I think, I think it's totally possible that kind of how this whole thing is lining up at the receiver room that after this year, when Will Shepard and Travis Hunter go to the NFL draft, uh, you know, very well, you know, uh, Timmons, Cordell Russell, Omari Miller, like those could be the guys, um, you know, moving forward that they're that they're building this offense around. And so uh, I think it's really cool. You know, we talked about this throughout the offseason, so many of the uh, Buffs, media members, reporters, um, content creators, about how like, hey, this is a great start, but we need to start building some layers to this thing. And I think you see definitely um, in the receiving group right now that they're starting to be those those layers that you see with uh, really good college football programs.
0: And it's a great start for our off-season discussion, but man, we probably probably need to pump the brakes, but close to a little bit. We got we got a long way to go, David. Uh yeah. but we're gonna get into spring ball soon. And that's when that that's one of my favorite times of the year because you can really spend time talking about some different stories. But uh this was a very quick hour to go by in, in uh January. I'm I'm excited to have some more of these discussions with you.
1: Man, I am I'm absolutely thrilled Adam um it's it's been fantastic being this is a this is a little dream of my true. so i appreciate you hitting me up nice, and okay. me to come on and would love to do it uh m- more often for sure um before we do wrap up i want to give everybody in the chat um just their props chat was fire today thank you so much and a uh, big thank you to bodie i'm sorry we weren't taking super chat questions today but i i hope we answered your your michael welsh question a little bit here and maybe adam we can do a show where uh where we take some questions from the fellas. Uh, I'm sure a lot, uh, a lot of people would, would love that. And I, I think that would be uh, really great, but always appreciative uh, of your time. I feel like there's like so many other things we have to talk about. So let's definitely We'll, link we'll up get there. We'll get there. Like here, I said, yeah.
0: we it's a marathon, not a sprint.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, well, uh, you know, Adam uh, as well, uh, I want you to, uh, as you're getting ready to sign off, as we wrap this up, Please uh, let the people know. I mean, you got some new things going on. I'm not sure if everybody has seen your new weekly segment that you got with our good friend, Big Dog. Um, let the people know. What do you got going on over at Buff Stampede?
0: Well, yeah, if you go to buffstampede.com, you're going to see our front page, and it's going to have all the latest football recruiting news. It's going to have you know the commitment list. It's going to have our message board where you can get on there and talk to other diehard fans and then yeah yeah we uh we, we like to do a lot of podcasts a lot of youtube collaborations our our youtube page is at com, and so uh yeah no it's 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 been a lot of fun and th- this is why i enjoy this job because i get to wear a lot of different hats i get to do yeah. a podcast with you today and i get to do uh, a video uh, of of a recruit tomorrow and then um uh, talk to high school coach and do a a feature on a player the next day and and get to do a lot of different stuff. And so it's like covering Colorado, like a beat writer, but then uh, because there's so much interest in Colorado um, it's motivating to uh, be a little bit more active on YouTube than I was in the past and and into try to branch out and, and, and also shine a light on, on the great work that, you know, a lot of the other people covering the buffs are as well, because, uh, th- there's a lot of great content out there, and uh, uh, I'm great to ha- I'm grateful to have these relationships with the other folks that cover the buffs because it, I was telling Big Dog Chico this on Friday. It's it's kind of a big family, and uh, yeah. uh, it got it got bigger with Coach Prime coming in because there is a, that extra interest. But it, but it's been a lot of fun.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. the The whole family has grown so much over this year, and uh, I, I'm just so thankful that you know we have you in buffs nation adam and i love that you're branching out a bit man so if you ever need any tips or tricks with uh with youtube you know i'm not a i'm not a pro but i i can at least give you my two cents and okay. yeah maybe we can do some dual streams get you some more subscribers as well
0: sounds good yeah i'm, I'm not going anywhere so unfortunately if if uh you don't enjoy don't enjoy my commentary you're stuck with me <laughs>
1: <laughs> nah, man, we all enjoy it. Well, uh, I guess I'll go ahead and, uh, and, and wrap this uh stream up, Adam. But um, thank you again so much, and uh, th- thanks for having me on Buff Stampede. So, uh, yeah. y'all, uh, be sure to hit me up at David Talks Buffs, all platforms. I'm coming out with content every day. Um, always appreciate it, y'all. And uh, yeah, we'll see you guys around soon. And as always, everybody, SCO Buffs.